Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Tom, uh, we did an episode a, a couple weeks back about the seven mistakes that attorneys make uh, in, in connection with the thought leadership marketing that they do. And one of them was that they don't publish enough of their content in places other than their own law firm's website. And I think that's a big one. And, and obviously the converse of that is it's very valuable, we believe, to publish, publish offsite, to do more guest posting. And, and so that's the topic that we're gonna dive into today. Um, and we have a, a great guest with us as well to talk about that. Um, Lee Jones is the editor-in-chief of Law.com, which is the premier news, uh, news website for the legal profession. And she's also senior editor of Law.com's Culture Desk. She worked as a legal journalist for more than 20 years, mainly covering large law firms and legal education. And she's a licensed attorney and a former English teacher, and I, and I might add, a podcaster herself. So, Lee, we're delighted to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm it's I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk about this. Fantastic. And I uh, I wanted to dive in by asking you maybe a more big picture issue here. I know in your past experience, um, you know you've had experience where you've you've been in a role that's overseen and interacted quite a bit with attorneys who are um, creating thought leadership um, as in an editorial role uh, yourself and I was just wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about um, your your opinion uh, some of your perceptions about the issue of thought leadership marketing and content marketing and how that is used by attorneys um, in in the context of marketing their practice and developing business. Sure. I mean, we're really talking about the value of it, as you said. And, um, you know, first, I think from a starting point, you have to look at what what we're talking about with thought leadership. And obviously, that means you you write about what you know. So, you know, from that standpoint, if you have you have to have credibility and if you have credibility in your subject matter, then you know, you can kind of foster that thought leadership role. Um, you know, if you're in IP, if you're into IP and you want to get an op-ed published about, for example, the flaws in Alan Dershowitz, Dershowitz's defense of Trump, if that's what you think, you're going to have a tougher sell to publication. So it's about writing what you know about. But pure and simple, it's great marketing. I mean, let's be honest. It's a great way to get your name out there as an expert. You can be seen as an expert by your peers and by potential clients. Um, it creates word of mouth, buzz in the legal community and elsewhere. So, you know, that that I think is is the primary thing. But I also want to talk about that there's also an internal benefit, a benefit to the lawyer herself. Um, writing for an audience uh, that is larger than, say, just your law firm or, or even, you know, posting something on your own firm's website, it helps you synthesize ideas. It helps you keep current on issues. It gives you an opportunity to say what you want, the way you want it, uh, you know, without interruption. It, it, it provides a way for you to stretch a little as a professional, to write something besides briefs and memos. And so, you know, uh, there's there's that kind of um, career, personal career development aspect of it, I think. 
on the other hand, I mean, I think you need to keep in mind that if, if writing is excruciating for you, if it's a process that's difficult, that you don't feel you're good at, then maybe it's not your, maybe it's not your deal. And there are other ways to demonstrate that you're a thought leadership. Um, but you need to consider kind of the time management aspect of it. If it takes you 25 hours to write a piece, you know, is that payoff beneficial? If it's hard for you to write. Um, so you might consider other ways to present yourself as a thought leader through like podcasts that we're talking about, panels, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think those are great points, Lee. And, and just to emphasize a couple of them, I think that issue that you raised about sort of staying in your lane, um, understanding what your niche is uh, when it comes to your thought leadership and not, not just your practice, but um, your thought leadership as well two things go hand in hand, obviously. I think that's critically important because you, you need to be an expert uh, generally, uh, or at least be working towards a high level of expertise to really have the deep insights, to spot the patterns, to really um, bring something new to the table through your thought leadership. So that's why it's important to kind of analyze the same issues, see the same patterns over and over in order to, to add that insight. And then, and then you're right. Um, I think that many times lawyers think of writing, and it certainly is the, probably a primary form of thought leadership still in the industry, but um, we are seeing different, uh, more, more and more mediums emerging, and, and I definitely think you, should, you should, shouldn't try to do something that's inherently hard for you, but rather you know, kind of map your thought leadership efforts towards what you have an aptitude and interest in. So, so Tom, let me throw things over to you um, before I ramble on too long here and let you jump in. <laughs> Yeah, glad. I had a, a white and red striped cane. I was ready to kind of edge into the scene. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're not going on too long at all. I just want, before I forget, I just wanted to thank you, Lee, for being, first of all, an English teacher. As an English major, <laughs> um, some of the most influential people in my life, in all honesty, were my English teachers. So, um, and it led me to, oddly, this career where I, I do a lot of writing uh, for a living. So, um, mm -hmm. But I wanted to call on something that you said that I thought was an interesting take and see if we could expand on it just a little bit, which you said, the act of writing, especially on one's own website, allows the attorney to spread his or her wings and to push themselves um, beyond boundaries because the canvas is somewhat, these are my words now, the canvas is somewhat limitless. There's not a, I mean, you might have a, a marketing department giving you some sort of editorial guidelines, but really they're just, they're begging you for content. So it really allows you to flex your creative muscles. Again, if this is your thing. And I'd be curious if there, to get your perspective, if there is, and if there is, what is it? Any contrast with that now when you started to pitch that thought leadership or a different article maybe to an editorial um, publication that has editorial guidelines and has readership? And does, do you feel like an attorney should then some, dial some of that back or do you think they should let it loose? Well, you know, that's a good question. You're, you need to know who your audience is. So I think you're going to have a, a slightly different voice if you're writing on your own website, as opposed to if you're seeking to get published on, on another medium or another, you know, another publication. Um, yes, you can have more say-so on your own website. Uh, you're not going to get as much pushback, clearly, uh, but you have less exposure. Um, you know, besides your own lawyers going to that site, you know, clients really 
uh, aren't hunting around for a lawyer on your side, especially in big law. Um, yes, it's there to recruit laterals and law grads, but, um, you know, the audience looking at is not going to largely is not going to be persuaded by a lawyer's pieces on, you know, the nuances of get the California consumer privacy act. So, you know, I, I think going beyond that, you know, to your point, yes, you have more freedom on your own website, but is that to what benefit really, you know, um, if, if you're looking at it for marketing purposes and let's be honest, that's what we're doing. Um, you know, I would suggest to, you know, sure, um, if you're not um, accustomed to writing columns or not accustomed to writing opinion, um, then sure, you know, start with your own website. Uh, but then I think it's critical if you truly want to be recognized as a thought leader to go beyond that. And here's here's why. Um, you're going to get objective feedback. You're going to get helpful criticism um, of that lawyer's writing. As I mentioned, a lawyer publishing on his own, her, his or her own website gets little pushback. Um, that's not to say, I mean, even if you are writing a contributed piece and you want to get it published elsewhere, those aren't generally heav heavily edited, but they are edited. Um, they're, they're edited for space, they're edited for, um, you know, you can have some things switched around, and, you know, you can get some significant pushback from an editor if things don't make sense or, you know, if you are positing something that simply is not true. The other thing about publishing off-site um, is the thrill of it. It's fun to see your byline, to hear from people who have read it, to make your mom proud. Um, so I'm hoping that kind of answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And um, yeah, you're right. There's certainly a, a pride factor in the latter, you know, be seeing your name in lights, as they say. Um, it, I agree. It, to me, I think they're two different muscle groups, and I think both yeah. require exercise. On the one hand, if you, um, you know, a lot of times Jay and I are advocating that people express their full, the full breadth of their personality. And in some cases, a polarizing take or a polarizing brand, um, personal brand, may be an asset. Now, whether that's going to be acceptable to a third party publication is, is another matter. But on your own website, you can you have some more of that freedom and you can flex those muscles there. Whereas I think, you know, when you go to a third party, and I'm not speaking for all of them, it seems though, that you want the piece to be more persuasive, more academic, um, certainly less polarizing, but more, um, a little more conservative, I guess I'd say, but, you know, esteemed. Would you agree? Sure. Um, yes, I, you want you want a you want to make a point that is going to resonate with people, and you want to take some of your personality out of that. I think. I mean, you do want, you know, I, I want something that's readable, that's crisp, that sure, there's some sense of humor in there, but uh, you're really there to make a point and not kind of introduce yourself. And just one thing that I do want to bring up is if you are looking to get published offsite, you want to be selective about where you publish. It's easy to get kind of sucked into uh, if someone accepts your pitch um, and to get excited about that. But if it's not a credible publication, um, or if it's a publication that is particularly slanted one way or the other, and I guess that goes along with being credible or not credible, 
um, that can reflect on you. Uh, you know, it has to be respectful. It can't be a pay for play. And I think the attorney needs to kind of investigate who else that you admire has published there. Um, you want somebody who's even handed because if the publication is credible, then you're going to be viewed as credible. Um, you know, uh, ask yourself, is the fact that you're published there going to give the impression one way or the other how you lean politically? Maybe that's okay. Maybe you want that out there. But if you don't, um, you know, you need to think about where your words are going. Yeah, Lee, that, that really resonates. And I know, you know, given, you know, I write a, I write a column uh, that I send to you. I try to do it every month. <laughs> then I think I've got, <laughs> gotten it to you most months. Um, uh, but I know when I do, I, I definitely put uh, a bit more uh, attention into it and, and care into it because you're, a, you know, you're a gatekeeper. You're an editor. You're someone who's, I know you're out there. I know you're going to be reading my writing and I know that you're going to edit it as appropriate and push back when appropriate. Um, whereas if I'm just posting something on my own website, that's not the case. And I think attorneys who uh, are, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a, a form of discipline that, that it, you have to uh, abide by, which is that uh, someone else is going to be critiquing what you write, where that might not be the case when you're publishing on your own site. So I think that makes sense. And then following up on one additional point is, when we're thinking about, you mentioned thinking about the publication in which you're you're pitching your content to, and and it doesn't, it certainly doesn't mean if we're thinking about this from a marketing and business development standpoint, it doesn't mean the biggest audience possible, not not by any means. Right, it's the right audience. It's the, a small, very targeted publication that is within your niche is far more valuable than some big, uh, you know, some of these big news sites that we're all familiar with or business publications that, um, you know, might just bury your content somewhere on its site and not give it much play. Um, whereas a smaller industry uh, and, and not have a readership that's, that's attuned or, or, or really uh, has any relation to the audience you're trying to reach. So I think those are right. really powerful points. Um, so if you put on your editor hat for a moment, Lee, and think about, uh, you know, when you're getting, because you're getting pitched and your publication, certainly the, the whole spectrum of uh, the American lawyer and ALM uh, is, is getting pitched all the time. Um, what are some things that you're looking for, um, not necessarily in the mechanics of the pitch, but like when it comes to the content itself, like what makes a good piece of guest contributed thought leadership content? I love this question. So first and foremost, is it relevant? Is the uh, topic is the is the piece that you're pitching is it tied to something that's happening right now um, you know I ask myself why as a reader would I want to know it now I think that's foremost so is it you know pending legislation is it tied to something that's happening in the news coronavirus unrest in Hong Kong Brexit um, so it has to be newsy uh, and, you know, you can kind of adjust depending on whether you're pitching to a monthly, whether you're pitching to a website, whether you're pitching to a weekly. There's a little more room in terms of how timely it has to be, but uh, it has to be relevant to what's going on now. The other thing I really look at is, is it written simply and directly? We're all busy, and even if your audience is sophisticated, and if you're a lawyer and you're writing for lawyers or clients, it's likely that your audience is sophisticated, but we don't want to read something that makes our head hurt. Um, we want to read something that we can consume quickly, uh, even if it's about complicated uh, 
topics and and it's so much more critical is if it is about complicated topics to make it simple and direct um and not show offy you know don't I, I don't need to know how many cases you've read and um and i and and or how many trials that you have um been involved in you know i think about um erwin chimerinsky who's uh, now the dean at um uh, Berkeley, and just today they officially got rid of the Bolt Hall name. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons that he is such a popular uh, contributor to so many places is he's fast, he's timely, and he keeps it simple. And he makes his points right at the top and then systematically goes through why he, you know, why he's right or why he believes he's right. Um, and, you know, we're talking about opinion piece, uh, pieces with him, but, uh, you know, that goes with um, other content not so, um, that's not so focused on opinion, whether it's, you know, uh, focused on a, a particular kind of practice, that kind of thing. The other thing I look for is, is it short enough? Is it too long? Um, you know, lawyers have a tendency to write too long. And um, when I was handling the... Uh, uh, contributed pieces and opinion pieces at the National Law Journal, where I used to work, which part, is part of the Law.com family, that was one of the biggest hurdles for lawyers was to write short enough. Um, but, you know, I, I just had to tell them, I can, I can virtually promise you that no one is really going to read past about 900 words. So <laughs> we're wasting paper and <laughs> we're wasting everyone's time. And then I ask myself is, have I learned something? If if a piece is submitted to me, have I learned something that I wanted or needed to know? Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of where I am with that. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned paper and uh, I'm old enough to remember when paper was the only medium. So I, I cut my teeth in tra <laughs> traditional PR back when the, uh, this is back in the 90s when the phrase uh, due to space limitations was uh, very common because there truly were yes. space limitations, right? So, oh, I know. Our jobs have gotten so much easier as editors. It, well, mm -hmm. And I've, I've made that point on this podcast and other places too, is that I think in some ways the opportunities have, have become more plentiful because there aren't those limitations of, of space. But at the same time, you know, that doesn't give you carte blanche to turn in C plus work either and expect that, you know, <laughs> you're going to the front of the class. So, you know, you, you, I appreciate all of those, those uh, comments on things that you've seen attorneys do well. What about the flip side of that? Are there any other mistakes other than the ones you, you called on, you know, maybe over being overly technical or going on too long or being too braggadocious? Any, any other mistakes you see uh, content coming across your desk where you look at it and you're just like, I, what do I do with this? <laughs> Um, sure. Uh, it, one of the big mistakes I, I see is not being familiar with the publication that you're pitching to, not knowing who the audience is, not knowing what's already been published on the topic. Uh, you know, I've gotten lots of pitches for pieces on, you know, in, in, the, um, in an effort to try to be relevant and timely, I'll get a pitch for something that, that has Unfortunately, we just ran something about that the week before. So not being familiar with the publication is something that I see a lot of times. And it, particularly 
Um, another thing that I see with lawyers is the use of footnotes and string citations. You know, it's not, this is not law review and nobody wants to read those anymore. <laughs> so, um, you know, yep. writing to uh, make it readable. Another thing that I've seen is assuming that your audience knows more than it does. As I mentioned, our readers generally are sophisticated, but I used to tell when I was working with a lot of op-ed and contributed pieces, I used to, I would tell the authors to think of your audience as a lawyer, but as someone who hasn't followed your particular practice area since they were in law school. So, you know, they're gonna need a lot of reminders. And yes, you might be talking down to some of them, but it's better to do that than to leave a bunch of people not knowing what you're talking about. Um, and just a, a few other technicalities, I think. Um, I mentioned too long, but also insisting on a headline. Uh, you don't get to write the headline. Um, and right. that, can, that can be difficult information for some, some writers. Uh, they want to write the headline, but, but that, that's not how it works. Um, I, I've also seen, I see this frequently, bios at, that go at the bottom that are far too long. And what's going to happen is the editor is just going to chop it off where they feel like they should where it should be chopped off and and then you don't get a say in the precious say 50 words that you get to choose so uh, a, a long bio is is not gonna is not gonna get in um, and then also too many co-authors generally we don't want to see more than two uh, three maybe but that that just gets bogged down if and we can always put at the bottom and you know I'm I'm specifically talking about, um, you know, law.com and our uh, affiliate publications. But this is, this is true, generally speaking. You know, you can put people who have contributed to the article at the bottom, uh, but just uh, keep, keep the lead authors to two. So that's what I'm thinking. Okay, yeah, th those are great tips and and ones that I know it's it's sometimes hard to lawyers are like to maintain control and you've got to give up a, a semblance of control when you're you're looking to have someone else publish your content. Um, so probably the last major topic we'll cover here, Lee, uh, is as I kind of previewed before asking the last question uh, was the mechanics of actually pitching uh, an editor because it's not just about. Uh, you might be capable of writing a great article, but if you can't, uh, you can't effectively pitch your idea to an editor, then you may never get the opportunity. So, so what what would you what would be some tips you'd give to lawyers who or or legal marketing professionals who are pitching on behalf of uh, of their the attorneys and their firms? What are some tips on how to um, draft something, pitch an editor in a way that would resonate and actually get uh, them the opportunity they're seeking? Sure. So it, this goes back to the idea of know the publication and that is, and this isn't always super easy, but know who to put the piece in front of, which editor. Um, and, and that might take some, some, a little bit of digging around. It might take, you know, an email to find out who to properly send it to. But unfortunately, if you send it to the wrong person, they're not necessarily going to have the time or the inclination to get it to who it needs to get to. So take some time to figure out who should get it in the first place. I like to have, unless I know the writer well, like that, that the writer has written for us many times or that they are well known uh, for some other reason, I like to have the piece in hand. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's a little difficult to um, 
say for me to make a decision about whether I'm going to run something, and it's more than a little difficult, if I don't have it in front of me. I don't know how the person writes. I don't know how long it's going to be, that kind of thing. So uh, it's it's better to have the piece as opposed to just, you know, a topic that they want to write about. Another piece of information I think is to pitch to one publication at a time. And I know that this is not always easy, but what we don't want um, is to see this run someplace else when we have decided that we do want it, but haven't run it yet. Um, and, you know, the, a, a a, a thorough edit, editor will say, will ask if you've pitched it elsewhere, but really you should pitch one pub at a time. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't go back, say, in three days and say, you know, uh, just wondering if you're interested in this. If not, I'd like to, I'd like to pitch it elsewhere. That gets a, a an editor's attention. That that you know that is a, a a signal that you know let's play fair here. And if you don't want it, I can take you know I can take the heartbreak, but let me know so I can go on. Um, I think it's also a good idea um, to inform the editor if you've published pieces elsewhere. Um, I, that will catch my eye. Like, oh, okay, well, they were in this publication, they're in, in this publication. Um, or even if it, you're not going to insult them if you tell them that they, that, you know, that the lawyer has published in that publication before. Um, you know, we forget. I've forgotten who's written for us, so that that's good, and it adds credibility. Um, and it, when you are pitching, briefly explain in the email why the piece is relevant relevant now, and kind of check your ego at the door. Um, you, you know, you're it, it, don't be disappointed if they're not going to jump on it right away. And then I, I, one last thing under the dues is think big. You know, depending on what it is, try to get it into the Times or the Wall Street Journal. They need content. They need good content, but they need, con you know, contributed pieces. So you never know. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to ask you about that, Lee. It's just one last question was, was kind of your, you know, I think sometimes lawyers make assumptions that there's, you know, this, this wall that they can't get over when it comes to contributing content. But, but publications, I think now more than ever, now more than ever, we've all heard about the, you know, the, the cuts in, in media and, and, and the massive amounts of, of media publications that are out there from print to web. And, and so, Editors and, and publications do need content, right? I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. every editor is looking for great content, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, um, Tom, any last uh, any questions you wanted to ask Lee? Or I mean, I think that would probably be a great place to wrap up. Yeah, I just wanted to ask her to plug the podcast and tell us for the listeners, our listeners who aren't familiar with your podcast, what's the name of it? What is it? And how can people find it? Well, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I am a co-host of Legal Speak podcast. We publish once a week uh, on law.com. My co-host is Vanessa Blum. She is director of newsroom innovation for our parent company, ALM. And we cover everything from mental health and the legal profession to how to uh, develop business to um, uh, litigation and litigation funding. Uh, we have an upcoming podcast where we have uh, kids interviewing their parents uh, who are lawyers. So it's just a broad spectrum and uh, we have a whole lot of fun with it. Thank you.
Yeah, it sounds fascinating. It really does. It's fun. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. That was a real pleasure uh, to talk to you in this context. And I think that our listeners will get uh, quite a bit of, of value out of, out of your insights and especially those who, who um, are thinking about, and I think every lawyer who is interested in thought leadership should be thinking about publishing offsite in other places other than their own law firm's website. So, so thank you so much for joining us and uh, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity and I hope it was helpful. It absolutely was. And, and for our listeners, uh, please join us next week for another episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.